I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Kathleen Federico. Kathleen is the SVP Chief People Brand and Communications Officer at MITRE Corporation. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Spencer and Jess. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, Kathleen, let's just jump right into it. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you and MITRE Corporation as I was doing a little research for the show. And I feel like I'm entering a world that I've never experienced before with MITRE Corporation. So as I understand it, MITRE Corporation operates many federally funded research and development centers on behalf of enterprise sponsors and clients. It's a really exciting world. Kathleen, do you want to maybe explain a little bit in terms of what MITRE does? Because I found myself fascinated with some of the language that you use, the most complex whole-of-nation challenges. That's really exciting stuff. So, Kathleen, if you could give our listeners a little overview. That sounds great, and thank you. You did your research well. You would have said exactly what I would have said. What MITRE does is we operate uh, numerous federally funded research and development organizations, which most people don't even know exist out there, and is really an important part of how um, the community and the business community, or a not-for-profit, can actually work on behalf of the federal government, on behalf of our nation and the citizens of this country, and because the role uh, this country plays in the world, really on half of the, behalf of the globe. And what we do is we can move faster, we can think further ahead, we can um, prototype, create, research, design, develop things that impact what we need to do as a nation across multiple different areas, whether it's AI, cyber, um, national defense, healthcare security, all of these areas, commerce, you name the areas on behalf of our veterans, MITRE is there to actually design, develop, and create really leading edge innovative solutions so that we can then bring it back to the federal government and others and be able to um, let whatever organization, be it the private industry, public, et cetera, launch that across our country. And, and so we play a quiet but really important role in how uh, this country operates. That's amazing, Kathleen. I think there may be 41, 42 federally funded research and development centers across the country. You operate six of them. That is a massive, massive footprint. So one of the questions that I had as I was doing your res my research is that you get to work for an organization made up of uh, individuals that are specifically hired to see around the corner. What I mean by that is healthcare, cybersecurity, transportation, you name it, the big, big uh, you know, industrial domains that we have in this country, you hire futurists. Talk a little bit about how you create a culture for futurists, for people that are working on these whole-of-nation solutions. It's a great question, Spencer. And really, what's important for us and the people, you know, when you're hiring researchers, scientists, engineers, very much what we do is tangible. But at the same time, they have to be 
as you said, futurists, being able to look around that corner, see what's happening there. So we have to provide a culture that unleashes potential to do both. Whether we continue to hone and develop as a learning organization those technical skills that are necessary to be able to do and design and create, along with the ability to unleash your mind and be able to envision what what the potential future could be. And then what are the things that we need to do to solve for what those problems that come out of that future? And we do that in multiple different ways. As I said, through our MITRE Institute, we have technical training um, that we provide to all of our employees. We also provide tremendous educational benefits. We want people to continue their learning and development outside of MITRE because that's where the fastest learning and education is sitting at universities, in conferences, in multiple different places. We want people to connect with the private sector because that's where a tremendous amount of billions of dollars of R&D dollars are there and we can't pretend we know everything. So we have to make that connection between government and the private sector and what we do at MITRE. And we also enable people to provide opportunities in their teams to really be able to think creatively, innovatively, and different about problems that no one else sees but we at MITRE do. So speaking of learning and development, I think you have started a really innovative program at MITRE. I, I don't know if I'm going to get the name right, but it's Leaders for the Future. And I read that there's this really you know, a, amazing uh, you know, aspirational goal of over the next year, maybe two years, you want to train roughly 5,000 individuals in your organization. Can you speak a little bit to this program, Kathleen? Something I'm very proud of. Uh, we, we recognize, you know, here at MITRE that, as you talked about whole of nation, it's not a singular way to solve problems. It's multidimensional. We also recognize that, and we all, we as people in this country, as individuals, experience it every day, the complexity, the rapid pace of change, the change in, you know, the work environment, what people expect in the work environment, how individuals expect. We have to hold many times two opposing thoughts simultaneously and as leaders act on that. So we care about as an organization, the entire organization and our purpose and our mission, and we have to make sure we meet the demands of our multiple stakeholders. At the same time, we have to look and employees expect, you care about me as an individual. What are my needs? How and, and what do we do about me? And then the community expects and our employees expect for us to be able to be on purpose to serve the community. Those things might be in conflict with each other at times. And you need to have leaders that can handle multiple different dimensions at the same time, they're understanding what's going on in the outside world and environment and come up with solutions and be able to lead through that. So we, we looked at that and said, MITRE, because of our specific role in the world, need to have leaders that need to do that better than anybody else. And we actually need to set that bar and set that framework and that path for possibly others to follow us in that area. And so two years ago, we launched the Leaders of the Future program. And what we did is we took about six to eight months, worked with McKinsey, and we looked outside in. We just didn't look at what we needed. And I specifically called it Leaders of the Future because I didn't want people to think it is a leadership development program, but it's not your traditional leadership development program. This is about what is happening outside and how do I as a leader continually evolve and change and lead 
all my stakeholders, all my employees to where we need to get to drive that impact. And what we did is we hired McKinsey because they they were able to do internal data assessment analysis, but more so did all the external environmental analysis that we needed to come up with what was required for leaders to lead today and in the future. And then we married that with our own internal cultural requirements, our cultural attributes, and ultimately narrowed that down to five competencies that we have at MITRE. And then we moved over to MIT Sloan and their School of Management because they are an innovative organization. They teach about innovation through technology and research. And we're sending all of our, we educated all of our leaders on those five competencies. And then we had sent all of our directors and our distinguished, which is our top senior managers, to Sloan for four days. I have offices going to an executive academy next week, actually. And really, the whole thing is to widen the aperture, to break some of the thinking that we have, to open up what are those opportunities and start to understand how to lead in this very complex world. Well, here's the question. This sounds all incredibly fascinating, very, very thoughtful, very intentional. Have you seen a difference? Yes, we're starting to. So, you know, um, and and part of it is really we teach a lot about culture and strategy outside in. What we're seeing is people, The I wish I could, could share with you, I'll, I'll try to speak to what the environment was like at MIT when you had people across the company. So we would take uh, diverse groups of our leaders. So it wasn't like we'd go sector by sector. We made sure it was a, across the organization, working together sometimes with people they haven't worked with closely, being pushed with questions and case studies and MIT professors to really bring through that thinking. The energy in the room, there was discourse, there was questions, there was pushback about whether this was going to happen or this is the right thing to do. And there were tools that we provided, opportunities to learn. and coming back to the organization, I see people, we didn't tell people, use this tool for this situation. They had to think for themselves how to apply their learning. And I've seen people back at the company actually teaching others to use these tools, to start questioning the way that they've always done things in the past, to start really being able to experiment which is really important for us, especially as MITRE, to experiment and not always having to have the perfect or final answer, but challenge yourself along the way and learn along the way. So we're starting to see that. So we just launched it last December, the MIT part of this, and we're finishing this part while we're simultaneously starting to train or educate people on further down in our frontline supervisors on these competencies. And so that's why it's a three, four year project for us. But we're starting to see some of that impact, which is very exciting for all of us. Well, both fascinating and congratulations. Jess, is this prompting any thinking on your end? Yeah, well, actually, it, it makes me think of a conversation we've had with some of our previous guests. Um, I'm interested, Kathleen, um, as you you think about this initiative, um, you know, there's been a, a big move in the world of leadership training to having more Co leaders learn coaching skills. I'm interested on your thoughts on that. Do you think it's overdone? Do you think we need more of it? W what are your feelings on that? I think there's no absolutes, right? I believe that, yes, leaders need to be coaches. It's really situational. You have to understand, and that's what we're trying to teach is you as a leader have to understand your own uh, leadership signature, who you are and what you stand for 
your values base and how you move forward with that. But understand in different situations with different teams and different people, sometimes you might need to be a decision maker and just make a decision and move the team forward. Depends upon what the project is. Is it transformational? Is it innovative? Do you need to drive consensus with an individual? Do you need to practice coaching? Do you need to give feedback? That's really what leaders of today require is to be able to understand themselves, understand the world that they work in, understand their people, and be able to determine and decide how I need to operate, how I need to um, shift based on that current situation in front of me or where I want to go. That is really difficult. The idea of command and control that we have had in the past is over. So really, you have to be inspiring, decision maker, visionary, coach, caring, parent, all of these things simultaneously. And it's really uncomfortable for people in leadership positions, but it's absolutely necessary. So let's talk a little bit about some of the organization's numbers for a minute. Do I understand you've got about 11,000 employees, and I, last number I saw maybe 1.9 billion revenue. Does that sound about We're right? We're a little bit higher. We have about 10,000 employees, predominantly in Bedford, Massachusetts, and McLean, Virginia, but multiple sites across the country and uh, now we're in Australia as well as uh, Singapore, a couple of international, and we're about two point five billion. Oh, yeah! Don't short me six hundred million dollars, right? <laughs> no, okay. we worked hard for that. Yeah, we worked hard for that. Um, and so, and just understanding a bit of the mechanisms of how this is done. Um, do you guys help these corporates? Like, do you help small businesses with like the Sibber or Sitter programs, or is it other programs? How how is this? you know, R&D money and stuff coming through? What's the mechanism that that funding comes through? It comes through the federal government um, on a contract basis that we have. And really, and there's many contractual agreements that we come up with as to specifically what we're looking at. But predominantly across all of our work that we do for the federal government, it really is to do research and development and innovative solutions. And so to the point that Spencer asked before, you know, part of our job is the sponsor will come to us in the federal government and say, this is what I need. And we have to be able to meet that need, but also look beyond it because of the fact that we have, we operate across many parts of the government. We're able to t step back and take a holistic look at what are we seeing as a common theme in each of these areas. We have, uh, through our ingenuity team and our acceleration office, we work with the private sector as well. So what are we learning from the private sector and how do we bring that all together to really be able to see around those corners and to create the solutions for our, our sponsors? But it's it's funded through the federal government. And what are what are kind of some of the most exciting projects that you're allowed to talk about that you guys are either working on or have worked on? Well, I think you see now um, a lot around AI, so artificial intelligence, right, and the work that we do there um, and how we do not only research but understanding the potential implications of AI on us and our daily life as you know, citizens of the country and world, but also on the uh, government and what what some of the risks are there. Cyber would be another one. As you see, uh, we do work for um, the Department of Defense. We also look very closely, as I said, in healthcare. So during COVID, for example, we did a tremendous amount of work with multiple constituents. That's the value of being a not-for-profit. We're not here for the bottom line. 
we're here for our mission, which is um, ensuring we have a safer world. And so what we can do is bring together parties which may be disparate at times or even competing. We can bring them together to actually share that common goal. And that's what we did in COVID. We're looking at that very heavily across healthcare as well. Let's talk about AI for a minute. Are there any of the those ones that you're allowed to tell us what you've worked on or what you're working on? <laughs> I'm not as... Um, I wouldn't be do justice to those some of those okay. projects that we have. Okay. Then let me ask you a different question. When you think about how much of the modern work system came out of, you know, the 1800s factory style model and, you know, our school systems got created on the conveyor belt system and, and yet you got to lead folks who need to like, not just think outside the box, like basically need to like forget the box exists sometimes, right? Uh, you know, structures, bureaucracy, rules, deadlines are, are often, uh, can often be stumbling blocks to that kind of innovation. So I'm interested, um, what kind of concepts or what kind of things you think maybe you guys do differently to be able to consistently produce so much innovation while still, you know, staying organized? And, you know, there's, there's a lot that, ha there's a lot of rules when you got 10,000 <laughs> humans around, right? That's right. It's, it's, um, it's a balance. Right. And that's where I said, I think it is situational. You have to, to run an organization that is 10,000 employees in multiple locations, you have to have policies, you have to have an organizational structure, you have to have the ability to have um, standardization, things that keep your organization running. That will always be here. It's, it's otherwise it's chaos, right? Um, but what you have to do is provide a culture that says we have all of these things where we're standardized, but we have a culture that's a learning organization. We have a culture where we we want you to um, innovate. We want you to take a little bit of risk, right? And so that now it's it's prudent risk, it's strategic risk, but still risk so that we, and we have your back. That's really what's important. We wanna be able to tell our employees that, um, you know, we want you to behave these ways. We want you to think differently while still having an infrastructure, rules, policies, whatever you call it. And so that's why leadership is so important. And that's why I keep coming back to that one common element, because it is the leader, the individual leader in working on the specific project or the specific opportunity that's able to um, manage their way through, identify how to um, navigate those policies, requirements, organizational structure, while still having to think differently, act differently, be differently. It, it, is, um, it is not easy. And we're still on a journey, like everybody else, about how to do that. But the future workforce demands it. You know, the, the new emerging talent we have today, the future coming up, they demand that to be able to understand why we're doing what we're doing, Rules are rules. Policy is policy. But if it doesn't work, what are you going to do about it? And leaders have to understand how to balance all those things together. And that's what we're trying to do as an organization. Yeah. So if we if we got super granular, can you give us just like a tiny little real world example of like, here's something we encourage a leader to do that maybe you don't see in other organizations or what's something like people could maybe they take back to their company today and uh, they might want to implement or think about how they want to change their things based on like an actual thing that you guys do. When I look at our competencies and our culture, 
One of the things I think all organizations are trying to do this, but as we're developing teams, we do teamwork. It's all project work that we do. Uh, and we really are working towards, from a system standpoint, from a people pulling who they are on their teams, really this idea of having diverse teams. And so what does that mean? What that means then from a technical standpoint, when you're looking at whole of nation, that means we have to have people with different technical skills on the team. So if you're in cyber, you may need someone that actually has an economics background on the cyber team, in addition to your technical cyber people, because they're gonna bring a different perspective and in innovation. We want people with different backgrounds, experiences. We want people of color, we want women, we want all of these, because we believe that when you have a team that is diverse with diverse experiences, they're going to represent society and the world, and they're the ones that will be able to figure out the problems where if you have individuals who are all the same, with the same background experience or technical expertise, it's hard to get out of your own box when that's the box that you learned in, right? And you're rewarded on. So that's really what I would say is probably the most common thing from our culture to the education we provide, to the systems we're putting in where we have everybody putting all of their skills into Workday, where, you know, really evolving into a talent marketplace so that the system can deliver up agnostic to the individual or a relationship, but who the best people are across the company and be able to put the team and then the team leader is able to do what it does best as a human to ultimately decide who that team is. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask one more question. I'm going to hand it back to Spencer, but I think about this concept, and there's so much backup for what you say. You know, you look at IDEO, who invented so many things for Apple. Uh, you, you know, or I love Stephen Johnson's book, Where Good Ideas Come From. Or, you know, I had this billionaire on the show named Stephen, uh, named Richard Koch, who I love, who wrote the 80-20 principle. He says, like, that so often the best ideas come from a distant part of the solar system. Like, you got to get out of the groupthink to come up with, with genuine innovation, right? But a, a different friend of mine who's been on the show a number of times, uh, uh, Shane Snow, he wrote this best New York Times bestselling book called Dream Teams about how very diverse teams are the most likely to come up with something crazy and awesome that other people hadn't had, but they're also the most likely to create friction. And like it can, like, it can go really bad too because there's so many opportunities for friction. And, and so this whole book is about this idea of like, okay, how do you get the benefits of diversity and overcome the friction that, that it, like people who don't think like each other supposed to work together and they're like, this is how you row this way. And they're like, that's not how you row, this is how you row. So I'm wondering if you have any tips of like, how do you get the advantages of the diversity uh, while trying to overcome the, the friction or the disadvantages of it? Well, Jess, you just explained Leaders of the Future program, right? It's actually at MIT, uh, when we go there, we start with the IDEO um, video, right? Because of the fact, and it's old and dated, but it is still so relevant, right, about that. And you need a decision maker in the room, but you need that creativity. They also have some structure, so it's not all um, just creative thinking. But they need to have, and you need to have a leader at the same time, as I said, is able to hold the needs of the project, the needs of the uh, solution, the needs of the stakeholders, while still understanding the individual needs of the people on the team. And being able to do that simultaneously. There's no rule book. There's no, I can't give you a, hey, follow this script and you will achieve success. There's no more do it and you must and everybody falls in line. It's that ability to navigate. And I use that word very specifically because you're going to have to understand who you are as a leader and navigate to those solutions because that is really absolutely 
the best way to find, you know, an innovation is an overused word, but something to create something that doesn't even exist, that people may not even know is a problem. And that is what MITRE needs to do. And we have to have leaders that can, you know, propel that team to unleash that potential, but also know when to rein it in and start to turn that into, actualize it into something tangible. <laughs> That's a great answer. I like that word, navigate. Spencer, <laughs> I'm going to hand it back to you. Well, Kathleen, I love these interviews because you never know where you're going to go. Um, so I'm, I've been trying to put myself in your shoes in that I see MITRE as serving as a broker between government, industry, academia, with attempting to solve the questions that no one else can. And these are big fundamental questions. Um, one of the things that impressed me is that MITRE helps all three of these entities consider our strategic global competitiveness. And that's not a term that you throw around really easily and loosely. That feels really important. And so I would think that there is a lot of pressure on you and MITRE to attract and retain the right talent in that these are questions that no one else can answer. So we need to get the dream team together. That's right. To answer them. And so where do you find, where do you seek this talent? What does that look like? What does your talent acquisition and, and uh, a strategy look like? Well, you know, uh, and Spencer, it's a great question. We talk about it often, as you can imagine, right? And it's a multi-pronged approach. First, it starts with our brand and our reputation. If people don't know we exist or who we are, and we used to be the world's best kept secret here in the country, and we've we really uh, started to do a lot of work to, you know, if MITRE is gonna be this connector, you said broker, we use the word connector. If MITRE is gonna be this connector, then people need to know who we are so that when we knock and say, hey, we need you to partner with us, they recognize us and they understand the value in what we offer. And then what we do is we do have a very strong internship program. So we work with hundreds of universities, ones that we believe have the uh, individuals uh, that provide that diversity, those opportunities, the technical skills as, why, as well as, you know, we now, as I said, hire people from all different backgrounds into our technical areas, not just deep technical or hard technical skills. We also make sure, so we have a very strong intern program. We start in high schools as well. We um, go out, we, we ask people to give us employ, you know, referrals because individuals that work here are the best referrals. Those, those standard things really work. But most importantly, because we can't always compete on pay, right? We're a not-for-profit. We can't always compete on pay or on benefits, although I believe we stand very strong out in the marketplace. We do a full market analysis. What we can compete the best on and the most important piece is mission. When we say we're here to make the world a safer place, being able to be a part of something that makes, you know, the world is awful big, but that makes, when you get here and you realize I'm making the world safer, but I'm making it safer for my children, my children's children, my parents. It's that identification 
with we get to play a really special role in how the future of this world goes. And that is something that no other company has that is unique to MITRE. And if you're 23 and fresh out of grad school or you're my age and been a senior executive and when I came here five years ago, my first not for profit and say, what a great way to be able to, to, to be at the end of my career and experience MITRE, that is what separates us. That's how we attract, that's how we retain our tenure. We have uh, low turnover rates. Our tenure is very strong. Our leaders have been here at least 20 years. That's what separates us, I believe, from everybody else. Last night I was on your career board. I find sometimes the best way to understand what an organization does is to actually go to the uh, uh, jobs that they're seeking. And the first page made a lot of sense to me. These are, you know, your typical engineering jobs. And I went to the second page. And at the top of that second page, I came across an underwater acoustics engineer, something that I had never heard of before. And I got thinking, I wonder what the career trajectory looks like for an underwater acoustics engineer. And I would think, Kathleen, that you may have a more challenging time, given the type of work that you do, with developing really meaningful career paths for these highly technical, highly talented individuals. Um, is that a fair assessment? I think it's, yes, it's something we, we really work hard to um, create and to enable people to move up our career path. So first of all, the reason why we need that individual is we have a, a great example of the uh, coalition between the private sector, the public sector, and academia and MITRE is our blue tech um capability that we have up and we have a whole lab. We have an underground uh, facility, underwater facility that everybody has come together, partnered with us, both state government, federal government, to create this capability to understand what happens underneath water, right? Whether you're in a, um, you know, whether it's a missile, whether it's a, you know, submarine, whatever it might be, no one has this capability. We have it here at MITRE. And, but we had to bring everyone, all those stakeholders together to be able to create this and to learn from it. We just launched it. When you have someone that has a unique skill set like that, what makes MITRE great is in our career path, as I said, we have opportunities to keep learning different and additional technical skills through our MITRE Institute. We also allow you in your first you know, four steps within our career path to be able to get promoted even in position because the longer you're with us and the more you learn, the more valuable you are. So we continue to move you up that career path even if you're not in a separate job. Uh, many of our employees, though, go to multiple different projects. So even though I may be cyber or I'm an underwater technologist, if there's other opportunities you're interested in, you can go to the MITRE Institute and learn. You can reach out and try and get on those projects. And so we believe that, you know, 
individuals, going back to the point of diversity and innovation, people that have a plethora of experiences and learning can come to a solution in a way that someone that is just straightly technical in their own area can. Now, not everybody chooses to do that, but that is the environment we really want people to have. And then once you're up into the management levels, then we have different mechanisms for you there. And that's where leadership of the future will take over. And we don't just teach our leadership of the future to people leaders. Anyone that is in our top technical, whether it's a technical professional on our technical career path or a people leader, everybody goes through the same development program because whether you're a project leader or you're a technical leader, doesn't matter. You still have to bring these same competencies out. But that's how we address that that challenge at MITRE. Let me take this in a slightly different direction. I'm I'm thinking of newly minted HR professionals, learning and development professionals. Perhaps they just finished their undergrad. Perhaps they just finished graduate work. And they're hearing this interview right now, and they're thinking, my word, Kathleen works for an amazing organization. She's an amazing individual. Uh, how do I get to be in her shoes? How do I arrive at that destination? Um, can you maybe share a little bit of your personal journey and some advice you may have for individuals who want to be where you are? Sure. Uh I have been um, working for many years, and I had don't have a direct career path. If you were to read my and read my bio, I um, ran a big sales P&L organization, right? I headed up strategy. I branded marketing. I did human resources. I've had a, some would say, a unique career path. Um, others would say it doesn't make any sense, um, but I seem to have ended up where I have. And and I think it goes for me, and this is what I tell um, people, you know, one of the things that kept me, and, and I was back when there weren't many uh, opportunities for women, I was surrounded typically by mostly men and mostly much older than me. And I learned I had to be, take every opportunity that came my way. And I needed to glean out of that opportunity as much as I possibly could and learn from it. And then that learning would take me to the next opportunity and the next opportunity. I also wasn't afraid when I felt that I wasn't learning anymore or growing to move on to another opportunity. I never, I was very fortunate. I've always been recruited away. So to wherever I went, because if people want to say, what is it about you that would separate you? I'd say it's that I look at everything as a learning. And so, you know, certainly when I was in college, I had a career path that I thought this is what I was going to go. It happened very differently than that. I think I ended up in an okay place. But what has been most beneficial to me, and I think to the organizations I've worked with, is I internalized that learning, knew who I am and what I've become and who I wanted to be. And then I would bring that out into the organization. I am a um, I go to organizations that require transformation, are looking for transformation and change. It's kind of in my DNA, who I am. And I've been very clear about that. That's the other part. You have to know who you are and what you're good at. You put me in an organization that wants stability and, you know, um, just even scalability. I can grow, but I grow, I believe in transformation. I believe in change, right? To, to really think forward. 
So I would fail in those companies. You have to also understand who you are. And one thing when I, when I was probably new out of um, early in my career, and I remember I had an opportunity and I was talking to my mother and I said to her, you know, I have this opportunity, but, you know, I've built a great team. They won't be able to succeed without me, you know, as only as an arrogant, ego-driven 23-year-old can be, right? And my mother looked me dead in the eye and she said, Kathleen, everybody's replaceable. If the John F. Kennedy as president of this country could be replaced, you can be replaced. And so just understand that. And I was devastated, as you can imagine, right? But then think about it. Not that, you know, so what it did for me, it set me off to understand I can be replaced. So what kind of legacy am I going to leave while I'm there? What difference am I going to make? Because I may not be around in the next iteration. I might choose to leave. People might ask me to leave. I might be doing something different. But while I'm there, what kind of impact will I have? And what will people say once I've gone? That's the real true testament to leadership and, and or to the impact we all have as individuals. So as difficult as I think I cried when my mother said that to me, I did take the opportunity. I did leave, but it was a life lesson. And that's the advice I give to everybody. You know, know who you are and know and understand the impact that you want to make and then take the opportunity whatever it might be and go for it i love this advice and i love this parenting lesson i'm thinking <laughs> i might want to use this later today by telling my children you know what you are not jfk so pick yourself up right. and move on that's right uh, yeah i i love that kathleen Jess, any thoughts or questions? You know, Kathleen, uh, you're right. It, it is an interesting career path. I'm interested in um, the skills and experiences you had overseeing sales and how that applies to your world now. It's wonderful. What it it is? Um, I worked for uh, World Travel Holdings, so we were the largest seller of cruises in the world, and um, we did we. When I was there, one of the things that I needed to do was look at every single transaction and the margin that I would make on every transaction. But I also had to be, and that's where I believe systems and tools play a unique capability that enables us to scale at levels we otherwise couldn't. So that my salespeople, the individuals, and it was all back then all over the telephone, I wanted them to be able to be anywhere in the country, So, but I also needed them to come online when our, you know, when our lines became uh, increased. But I wanted them to not worry about the tools and focus on the customer. We were selling dreams. And that's what I wanted to do. And that ability to be able to understand, you know, and I, it, whether you're not for profit, for profit, no matter what your role are, you have to understand the basic fundamentals of how the company makes money, distributes that money, and returns on that money because that's important because that drives so many different things. And then you have to understand how to drive efficiencies in that and using, I'm a big believer that you use systems, tools, machines to do what they do best. Machines and systems are now our partners. They're members of the team. You have to be able as a leader to accept that and not resist that. That is the way of the world. And then, so we were able to ensure and input new systems and processes in while and then leaving me as the human being to actually do what I do best was to make sure that I put you on the absolutely best trip. I got you to spend 
money that was well worth spending and I'm going to meet your dreams wherever they were. And that has been, was an amazing opportunity for me to understand the value proposition of an organization from a brand and marketing, the relationship that individuals have with stakeholders or customers, and the efficiency, scalability, and sustainability you need to drive using tools, systems, and processes. And you have to manage all three of those simultaneously. You know, it's interesting. I think about all these different interviews Spencer and I have done together for this mini-series. And I can say, like, it's interesting, you know, whether it's a chief leaning officer or chief HR officer, chief people officer, you know, roles similar to this. Um, so many of these really top ones have so much more business acumen than your maybe more siloed HR professional. Like, they, they really see themselves partnering with the CEO. Like, they genuinely understand how the business makes money. And they seem more concerned with like, you know, the revenue of the business instead of just people being happy. And that's right. And then they rise to the top ranks, the top ranks of the organization. Um, it sounds like you observe that too. Like what, I guess, you know, thinking about someone in learning, someone in HR, if you were going to encourage them to maybe take a bigger interest in how does our company make money in addition to their traditional roles, what would be your sales pitch for that? Like why, why would you encourage them to, to pursue that more? Because if you don't have a strong foundation as an organization, right, whether, and again, not-for-profits, we still make revenue. We have to understand how to distribute all those dollars, right? We're not about for-profit, but we have to, it's not, you still have to use your dollars wisely. You still have to make investments. If you're any any uh, corporate leader, um, HR, finance, you have to understand, but I'll talk to HR people, you have to understand those building blocks and the mechanics of it. You have to understand how do we make profit as a company? Where does that money get invested? The number one cost of most organizations are people. Hiring them, providing benefits for them, paying them. You know, for us, it's, it's a significant part of every dollar we spend. That is a major responsibility, and you have to understand how to spend it wisely. You have to understand how to invest it. You have to understand how to grow it. You have to understand the mindset of the people that some are just going to be driven for pure profit, while others, you know, employees don't always understand that and just want to be taken care of. And again, balance all of those things. If you don't know how businesses work, and most importantly, how your business works, then you're not able to be an informed leader that can partner with the CEO to make these very important decisions and around the table to actually inform how we invest our dollars to drive our teams. Because it's really about the alignment of the teams into where we ultimately want to go. It is probably one of the most fundamental things I learned while in school, while I was in school and I worked as a customer service supervisor at Friendly's and I understood food cost and labor cost and average hourly rates and kept accountable to that while servicing customers, I carry these with me through my whole career. That's why I tell people all the time, you know, um, and, and because I think I grew up, as I said, as, as a, a woman in a male-dominated world, people, I, need to, I needed to understand finance, the P&L, how we made money, better than anybody because it was always underestimated that you're, you know, um, even if I was in operations first and then in HR, once you're in HR, it's understood that you just care about people and not anything else. I have set out to prove everybody wrong about that. 
And that's how well, I ended yeah. up with this career. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously you did. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm thinking about, you know, at, at Spencer's organization, Western Governors University, this episode's going to get promoted to 150,000 students and 300,000 uh, alumni. Um, what's one piece of advice you have for them and everybody else listening today? Know who you are, right? The most important thing in this world that changes constantly, there's everybody has an opinion about what you do, how you do it, the way you do it about everything. If you don't know who you are and what you stand for, then you will never stand for anything. And so it's really important to un to think inside, take a look at yourself, know who you are. And then no matter what comes at you or what you decide to do, you'll be able to stay true. You know, they, that word authenticity is also used a lot today. But if you can really be your authentic self, and stay true to your values and what what things mean to you. Now you will grow and learn, but that core inner part of who you are at the middle of the night when everything is you're confronted with everything, that's what will able enable you to keep moving forward and provide that resilience and that opportunity. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, um, thanks so much for making time to do this. This has been great. My pleasure. I really thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Jess. I um, I hope this achieved what you were looking for. It was great for me, and I love talking about MITRE and our people, and, and I love talking to people that are trying to figure out where they're going to go. I hope it's helpful to everyone. Yeah, that's great. Bye, everyone. And then some, Kathleen. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.